Well, I'm sure all of us have heard the saying that beauty is only skin deep. And probably most of us have heard another saying that says, pretty is as pretty does. And both of these sayings capture aspects of what we find in our text today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. These are truths that evidently by the Proverbs that I just cited are widely known and yet are also very widely ignored and often suppressed. Because too often even God's people cater to worldly norms of beauty which we know to be false. And so Peter, after instructing Christian wives to be submissive to their husbands, then addresses the question of what it is that makes a wife attractive to her husband. And so we take up today 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I have entitled my sermon today, Earrings, Mascara, and Wild Hairdos. I don't get to do anything like that very often. We have two verses today, and there are two simple points. Number one, what not to do. Number two, what to do. What not to do, 1 Peter 3.3, 3, and what to do, 1 Peter 3.4, in regard to what makes us attractive. First of all, what not to do. Do not focus on external appearance. Again, verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Peter is addressing a universal concern. It's interesting that what he says about appearance was not applicable to the two previous relationships that he discussed. You recall in verse 13, he tells all citizens to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Citizens are to be subject to civil government. And then in verse 18, he addresses slaves and their relationship to their masters and tells them, as well that they are to be in submission to their earthly masters. And now in chapter 3, he takes up the husband-wife relationship, and he says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands. But he adds this information, this instruction regarding appearance, which he did not include in the citizen-government relationship or in the slave-master relationship, because there, obviously, it was not applicable, though submission is common to all three of these relationships. But this particular aspect, the appearance of a wife to her husband, and beyond that, more broadly, the appearance of all of us to others, that becomes particularly important in this husband-wife relationship, and especially where we have a Christian wife and an unconverted husband. It is actually a question of universal interest, is it not? All of us give some thought as to how we can make ourselves attractive in the eyes of others. And Christian wives would be concerned about how to be attractive to their unsaved husbands. And 
Christian wives are concerned usually with how to be attractive to their saved husbands. And so on it goes all throughout the universe, all throughout the world, all throughout the centuries, all throughout all countries and cultures. It really is a matter of universal interest. Which reminds me that the scriptures are very relevant, are they not? Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago, and yet it's just as relevant today in 2008 as it was in the day that he wrote it. Sometimes we're told that the preacher's job is to make the scriptures relevant. I'm not convinced of that. I think they're already relevant. I think it's the preacher's job to declare what God has said, knowing that it's always relevant to the human condition. I need to explain what God has said. I need to try to help apply what God has said. I know that it's relevant to humankind and to our needs. There is an important prohibition here. It's in the present imperative, and Peter, by the Spirit of God, says to these wives, Do not, do not let your adornment be merely outward. To do so, of course, is to maintain a mistaken priority. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, that which is external, that which is on the outside. We are aware that in our day women often object to being viewed by men as mere objects, as mere possessions, valued for their beauty, valued for what they add to a man's self-esteem and his pride and in his uh, position and wealth and so forth. And yet, knowing that, why is it that women often turn around and dress to attract the eyes of men or to compete with other women in the way they dress? Isn't that quite a contradiction? But it is a common contradiction. And Peter says, now give attention to your adornment, but don't let your adornment be merely external. The word adornment, interestingly, is the Greek word cosmos. Most of us recognize that as one of the words that's translated world in the Bible. Probably one of the most common words for world in the Bible. Cosmos. It is where we derive our English word cosmetics. It means orderly arrangement. The world in its Orderly arrangement, the cosmos, cosmetics, which help a woman to put herself in more orderly arrangement is the idea. Adornment, decoration. In other words, things that are designed to attract, things that are designed to enhance attractiveness. And Peter says, don't let your adornment, the things that you look to, to make yourself attractive, to cause yourself to be more beautiful, more acceptable in the eyes of others, don't let your focus be merely upon that which is external. And he gives some examples of what he's talking about. Things such as hair and jewelry and clothes. And surely there are other things that would fall into the same category, but he mentions three in order to help us understand exactly what he's talking about. Even the Old Testament prophets mentioned the sinful focus upon things external. Listen to the words of Isaiah in chapter 3 and verse 16, talking about the women of Israel in his day and the fact that God's judgment was going to fall upon them. And we read, moreover, the Lord says, 
Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms and the rings, the nose jewels. You thought that was new. The nose jewels, the festive apparel and mantles, the outer garments, the purses and the mirrors, the fine linen, turbans and robes. And we read it earlier in Paul's epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, when he said in verse 9, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Peter has something similar to say here when he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Arranging the hair. The emphasis there in that phrase is upon the action, the activity of fixing the hair in elaborate hairdos that would require a professional hairdresser. Don't let that be the focus of your adornment. Or the wearing of gold. Wearing the idea of putting around, around your neck, around your wrists, around your ankles, around your fingers, around your ears. This putting around of gold or putting on fine apparel, your clothes. And there the emphasis is upon putting on frequently, regularly, frequent change of clothes, many outfits to impress others, to make a show. Don't do that. Don't let what you consider makes you attractive focus upon things like this, your, your hairdo, your hairstyle, your expensive jewelry, your impressive clothing. should be obvious that Peter does not primarily have poor women in mind. Earlier he talked about the slave-master relationship. There were, obviously, in the congregations that he is addressing slaves. There would have been slave girls, domestic servants, who would not have been able to have gone to a professional hairdresser would not have been able to wear one piece of gold jewelry and would certainly not have had many changes of any apparel, let alone fine and impressive apparel. And so Peter runs the gamut from the poorest of the poor when he talks to the slaves to the wealthy when he talks about some of the women who are in this category. And that's simply a reminder that in these New Testament churches, there were all classes of people, from the poorest to the richest. They all were in the same church. They all worshipped together. They served together. They blended together. They learned to get along together. They didn't segregate themselves into this church for the rich people and this church for the poor people. They were all there present together. And Peter has something to say to all classes and categories. And here he is addressing those who are at least wealthy enough 
to do the things that he warns not to do. Apparently, there were plenty of women that would be hearing this read who fit into this category. Now, I need to make a necessary clarification. What Peter is prohibiting here falls in the area of moderation, not absolute prohibition. He's not saying, don't fix your hair at all, just let it go. He's not saying, don't ever wear any jewelry. That's a sin. And how do we know that that's not what he's saying? Well, first of all, because the language of the text cannot sustain prohibition. If you take the text literally for what it says, it not only says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on... And you'll notice in my translation, the word fine is in italics. That's not in the original. Literally, it says putting on clothes. Now, if you prohibit everything that he says, you can see what the result would be. Don't braid your hair. That's the old King James uh, rendering. Don't wear jewelry and don't put on clothes. If you pressed his exact language to its literal Meaning, and so it's obvious that's not what he means. He's not prohibiting these things, but he is instructing toward moderation in all things. Furthermore, other scripture would support that interpretation because the scripture doesn't contradict itself. And so, for example, when we read of the Virtuous woman or the virtuous wife in Proverbs 31, we read in verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She was commended for her beautiful clothing. But I take it it was tastefully beautiful and not ostentatiously so. And that's the point of what Peter, by the Spirit of God, is telling us here. In other words, moderation, not prohibition. Not so unkempt as to embarrass or dishonor your husband. Not so unkempt as to be a bad testimony for the Lord, because that's just as detrimental as being overly dressed, putting too much attention upon your fine appearance. But the idea is to dress modestly, thoughtfully, tastefully. In other words, to try to... Dress in such a way that you enhance the inward beauty of a Christian Christian uh, character. Rather than calling undue attention to that which is external. And by the way, that's the original meaning of the word modesty. When we say that word, we almost always have in mind whether something is, is uh, sexually provocative or not. And that's included. That's part of it. But really, modest means not to be too showy, not to call too much attention to itself in any way, to be, to be modest, to be tasteful, to be understated in your clothing, not trying to call attention to the physical. And what Peter is calling for is greater simplicity, spending less Time and money on the way you look outwardly.
If all of the ladies that were in view with Peter's words would put his instructions into practice, that would help minimize class distinctions within the church, wouldn't it? Of course, there are some who are wealthy and some who are poor, and no doubt many, perhaps, who are somewhere in between. And if the wealthy women flaunt their wealth with their expensive jewelry and diamonds and gold and expensive hairdos and expensive clothing, then, of course, that just highlights all the more the difference between them and the poorer women. But if the wealthy women will dress modestly and tastefully and moderately and all they do, then the difference will not be quite so conspicuous. So first of all, what not to do. Don't focus on external appearance. But secondly, what to do. And that's verse 4. Cultivate the beauty of, a new na- of the new nature. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious, very precious in the sight of God. And so here's a priority which must be addressed. Don't let it be the focus on the external, but rather, Allah, but instead, strong adversative here, let it be the hidden person of the heart. This is the Christian wife's most important adornment. This is the Christian woman's most important adornment, whether she's a wife or not. This is every Christian's most important adornment, whether it be man or woman. The development of the inner man, the inner person, the inner man, anthropos, inner man. And that is in reference to the Christian's renewed nature, the nature that we have as a result of regeneration, And as a result of the Spirit of God who indwells us, changing us from within, that new nature, that's what needs to be developed and cultivated. That's where the focus needs to be. The nature which Peter tells us is incorruptible and imperishable. He's used language like that before. Remember what he said in chapter 1 and verse 4 where he said, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. He's talking about our heavenly inheritance in terms of being incorruptible. And notice what he says also in verse 23 of chapter 1. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so he's already told us that our heavenly inheritance is incorruptible, and he's told us that the word of God is incorruptible. And now he tells us that if we are Christians, we have an incorruptible inner man that will never perish, cannot perish. Let me quote what Edmund Hebert said about this inner man. He said, the inner work of grace has implanted a spiritual beauty that is real and abiding. The opposite of artificial adornments that can be removed at will. This beauty grows within like a lovely flower. Only true believers have what Peter's talking about. Only born-again believers have this imperishable inner man. Because unbelievers are going to... To perish. 
And therefore, it's impossible to cultivate what you do not possess. If you are not a child of God, you can't obey Peter's injunctions, and you can't call upon this wonderful God-created, God-sustained inward beauty that comes with regeneration and with the development of the new nature by the Spirit of God. If you don't have this, then you need to look to Christ in faith. You need to acknowledge your sin and guilt and need. You need to cast yourself upon Christ and Him alone for salvation. You need a work of the Spirit of God in your heart to change you and to give you this imperishable inner man that Peter is here talking about. But he tells us that this inner person requires development. God created it and God sustains it, but God tells us to develop it, doesn't he? This new man is not fully developed at birth, that is, at the new birth. This new man requires our diligent and obedient efforts. The condition of our new man, its development is revealed by our words and actions, by the way we speak, by what we say and the way we say it. Peter is talking about growing in grace and knowledge. Peter is talking about developing the fruit of the Spirit. Peter is talking about the pursuit of holiness. That's what we need to focus on, not upon that which is outward, but rather let it be your adornment, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And Peter focuses upon two aspects of our inner man that particularly needs to be developed in relationship to a woman's attractiveness to her husband and even unsaved husband. And he names these as, number one, a gentle spirit, and number two, a quiet spirit. Gentle. A gentle spirit. That word as an adjective is only used four times in the Bible, three other times besides this one here. And two of those are of Christ himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ is gentle. The same kind of gentle that Peter tells Christian wives that they must be. And we read in Matthew 21, 5, and this is quoting from an Old Testament passage, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt colt and foal of a donkey. And that word lowly is the same Greek word. Lowly. Gentle. And the third time that it's used, it comes from the lips of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the Beatitudes when Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that word meek is the same word as gentle or lowly as we've seen it in these other occasions. And so as an adjective, it describes Christ twice and all those who are followers of Christ and what we should be once and now In this instance, it describes what a woman should develop as her true beauty. However, as a noun, this word is used even more frequently, quite a bit more frequently, and that helps us because you'll find it used, for example, in the list of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, 
where we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gentleness. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken and then he trespass, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of gentleness. I think the old King James said meekness. Same idea. Same word. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And here's what James says in James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Same word, meekness. And so that's what we are to develop. A gentle spirit, that is a meek spirit, a patient spirit, a considerate spirit, an unassuming posture, a humbleness, the opposite of pushy, assertive, coarse, demanding, standing up for my rights, the opposite of all of that is described here as a gentle spirit. And the second one is a quiet spirit, which is similar in many ways, but it gives us further insight. A quiet spirit, and that word is only used here and in the passage we read earlier in 1 Timothy 2.2, where he told us, Paul told us, to pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. A quiet and peaceable life. And this word means calm, tranquil, a quiet disposition. The opposite of noisy, boisterous. A quiet spirit that calmly bears but never creates disturbance. Calmly bears but never creates disturbances. That's what Peter says women should cultivate as their most attractive adornment. A gentle spirit. A quiet spirit. It goes without saying that we all have different personalities and some personalities are normally more quiet than others and some are normally pretty pretty uh, vivacious. And obviously, Peter is not suggesting that in the final analysis, everybody should end up with the same personality, that we should all be equally shy. But he is telling us that noisy, boisterous, coarse, loud Behavior is not proper for a Christian. And therefore, if that is your personality, you may have to work harder at obeying this particular instruction than some others. All of us have different areas that we're going to have to work on harder than others. Some this, some that. You may have to work harder on this. Your friend that may not have to work quite as hard on this, though we'll all have to do it, work on it some. But your friend that may not have to work quite as hard on this may have to work harder on something that you 
find more easy to do. But differences in personality notwithstanding, it does not change the scriptural text, the command, and the norm that is set before us here. And the real beauty that commends women to their husbands, that makes them attractive to others, is a gentle and quiet spirit, and that's what they need to cultivate. You need to work on that as hard as you work on how you look in the mirror. And by the way, the definite article is used with the word spirit. The spirit. The gentle spirit. The quiet spirit. Which would indicate that this is a well-known Christian characteristic. Everybody understands what the Christian ideal should be. You know what it is. That gentle and quiet spirit which characterizes our Lord. That gentle and quiet spirit which brings the blessing of God, as in the Beatitudes. That gentle and quiet spirit, which reflects the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That well-known gentle and quiet spirit is what Peter's talking about. Now, you know what it is. Let's work on it. Let's develop it in our lives. And this, says Peter, is what makes people beautiful to others. This will even make a Christian wife attractive to an unsaved husband. He may not have an appreciation for things spiritual, and he might think that he's attracted to a different kind of woman altogether, but just trust the Lord, and this will make you attractive to your husband, even if he is unsaved. But the one that we need to please most is not even our husband or some other person, but rather God. Again, look at verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is always, immediately, and forever beautiful to God even if it is not always immediately attractive to men. The world sometimes has a very different standard. And the world may not think this is is commendable behavior, but God does. And for a Christian woman, that's the most important issue. But Peter assures us that this will come to be attractive even to unconverted men. Over time, they might be attracted to something else initially, but that wears pretty thin pretty quickly. That beautiful appearance, that beautiful body in a loud, boisterous, pushy, demanding, self-centered woman. That wears pretty thin pretty quick, but this will attract your husband in time. Count on it. It's the promise of God. And even if it doesn't seem to, it will always please God, and he's the one who most matters. And why does this please God? Well, probably for several reasons, but for one reason is because it displays faith. It trusts God to protect you. It trusts God to provide for you. It trusts God to work in your circumstances. You are, are not trying to, to manipulate things in the way that the world would lead you to do so, but you are instead committing your case to God and trusting Him fully. 
That pleases God. Faith always pleases God, doesn't it? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But with faith, God is pleased. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that's what pleases God. He said in chapter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And a woman who focuses upon inner beauty is doing exactly that. She's casting all of her cares and concerns upon the Lord and trusting Him to meet them according to His working, according to His word, according to His standard, according to His righteousness, rather than trying to make it happen in the worldly sort of way. Oh, that pleases God. It pleases God because this is Christ-like. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.23 of Christ? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And when a woman does the same thing, she doesn't depend upon her own cleverness and her own, own attractiveness and her her own manipulation, but rather just commits herself to God who always judges righteously to work things out according to His wisdom, that pleases God greatly. That's very precious in the sight of God. And so quickly, let's apply our text. The first application, of course, is to wives. That's who Peter is writing to, isn't it? And therefore, wives, you need to search your heart. And if you have strayed from this instruction, then you need to acknowledge that before God and confess your sin and get busy making changes quietly. Quietly making changes. You can't call attention to the changes you're making or you violate the spirit of what is taught here. Just quietly go about making the changes that Peter tells us to make. There's applications here for young single women too. You need to aspire to this kind of inward beauty. If you'll work on cultivating this now, you'll have a head start on those wives who maybe were saved after they were married and, and started out on the wrong foot. But now you can develop this kind of beauty now. But of course you'll have to depend upon the Lord and believe what He says. Remember, that word adornment means things designed to attract. What is it, young unmarried woman, that you count on to make yourself attractive to the eyes of young men? Is it your dress? Is it your undress? Is it your outward beauty? Or is it your godliness, your gentle and quiet spirit. I want to remind you, what you attract is what you get. What you attract with will determine what kind of man you get. Do you really want a man whose primary focus is upon 
the external upon things superficial? Is that the kind of man that you want for your husband? If you're a Christian woman, you want a godly man. How are you going to attract a godly man? Not by fleshly adornment, but rather by godly character. There's an application here for older women, isn't there? Older women are told in the Bible to teach the younger women. And so you need to help the younger women to know how to do this. You can teach them, first of all, by your example, which, of course, has to be a good example if you're going to teach them. And then by precept, by befriending them, by mentoring them. What a blessing it is when older godly women will come alongside the younger women Grandmothers will come alongside the young mothers, women who have been wives for many years and have grown in godliness and grace and knowledge will come alongside the young wives and mothers and will help them, befriend them, teach them, guide them. What a blessing that is. You have the opportunity to do that with these values in mind. There's an application here for men as well. Number one, men, we need to teach our daughters these values, don't we? It's hard for us to do sometimes. And sometimes they resist this, particularly if their hearts are not strongly committed to Christ and to things spiritual. But we need to teach them. And we need to recognize that a lot of what Peter says here applies to us as well. It's not just for the women. We need to cultivate greater gentleness. We need to work hard at not being loud and boisterous and angry and pushy pushy and self-assertive. These are the characteristics of Christ. This is the gentleness which he displayed. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is this comes under the blessing of the Beatitude. This is for all of us. It's not just for the wives. It's not just for the women. It's for every one of us. And that leads me finally to consider how do you do this? How do you cultivate the inner man? How do you cultivate the quiet and gentle spirit of which Peter speaks? Well, of course, many sermons can be devoted to that, but I would suggest one simple one. Spend as much time tending the inner man as the outer man. You really know how to do it. You just aren't doing it very much. It is by reading and meditating upon Scripture. It is by prayer. It is by faithful attendance at church, hearing the Word of God and fellowshipping with the people of God and ministering to them and receiving from them. It is by spending your time reading and studying good books that will help you to understand God's Word and grow in godliness. You say, I don't have time for that. I would just suggest on the basis of Peter's admonition that if you will just take as much time as you spend Grooming yourself and feeding yourself. And give an equal amount of time to things spiritual. You will blossom. What a difference that would make in God's people. What a difference that would make in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. If every member of the church would spend just as much time on things spiritual as we spend on Things temporal, as much time developing the inner man as we do taking care of the outer man. It's a matter of priority, isn't it? 
Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And Peter is suggesting to us that if we are pleasing to God, he will make us pleasing to the people that we need to be attractive to. Don't worry so much about pleasing others. Worry more, concern yourself more with pleasing God. And if you are pleasing God as you should, he will take the responsibility to make you attractive, to make you acceptable, to give you favor with the people that you need to be attractive to. Remember Proverbs 16:7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Obviously a general statement, not true in every instance. We think of the life of the apostle Paul, how many times his enemies did not he did not please them. They they persecuted him. But think of the amazing number of times when people who were his enemies turned out helping him, favoring him protecting him, taking care of him, when there doesn't seem to be any particular reason or explanation for it except his ways pleased the Lord. And so the Lord made a Roman government, a Roman centurion. The Lord made people who would normally be at enmity with him. He made them receptive to him. Paul became attractive to them. And they helped him. And the God who did that for Paul is still alive and well. And he can do that for all of his people and will, according to the promise of his word. Let's trust him. Shall we pray? Father, we have much to learn and much to work on. And we have been reminded of things from your word today that we already knew, and yet we have neglected far too much. Forgive us, O Lord, for our neglect of your truth. Help us, O Lord, to commit ourselves to that which you have told us, all to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, all to make his church more glorious in this world, that our Savior might be made more glorious in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.